Welcome back to the Traders Network Show and our continued coverage of the Humanity 2.0. I'm Matt Bird, broadcasting worldwide from Rome, Italy, at the Pontifical Oriental Institute. And my next guest is Gregory Gresco. He is the professor of moral theology at the Pontifical Anthenaeum Saint Anselm. Is that right? It is. I got it all right. Absolutely. Wow, and in both, both, both of them. Yeah, get it <laughs> Listen, off. Gregory, th thanks, thanks, Father. Wonderful. Sorry, Father, Wonderful. Father Gregory. Um, okay. Thanks so much for for, uh, for joining us. You know, we 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 had we, we had a few minutes to chat yesterday mm -hmm. during the uh, during the event and the festivities uh, before and afterwards. Um, you know, I was outside for most of it. You you were floating around inside. You caught a lot of the content, if not all of it. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of amazing thought leaders. There's a lot of um, amazing ideas. Um, there was from ethics to you know morality to innovation. An area that I found very interesting, and I've gotten a lot of feedback on. It was the business and ethics mm -hmm. panel. And what was interesting to me, and I've heard this from from numerous guests, it was there was different perspectives on what business ethics is. Mm -hmm. Some thought it was climate control, some thought it was sustainability, some thought it was corporate social responsibility, mm -hmm. and it went, it went across the board. Mm -hmm. It must be an interesting thing for you as a professor of moral theology, mm -hmm. because this really gets down to moral being at some level, and, and business is operating morally, I mean, mm -hmm. ethically. Um, what was your take on it? Is it one thing, or is it all things? You know, it's... Well, I mean, there is one truth. I mean, and the truth, that's what we're trying to get to. It's like, what, what is that fundamental truth that can unite everybody in common? Mm. But it's, it's vital to hear the diverse opinions mm. and the various experiences because everybody's coming in with different human experience. Every person has his or her own history mm. and her own personal um, interaction with a personal um, cultural dynamic, uh, a personal um, upbringing that they're bringing in to their work experience. And so it, it's vital for us to listen to the diversity of opinions mm -hmm. and perspectives, not just opinions, um, which they're choosing to believe this or that, but the experiences that are forming who they are, that make them who they are in the workplace and as decision makers, ultimately. And so in anthropology, this is a fascinating aspect of, of our work, is that we have to look at the human experience. Mm -hmm. And that's lived out in different places in different ways. It doesn't mean that there isn't something that can tie it all together. Right. But anybody who's coming into that room is probably representing a good number of people who aren't present in the room. The person's hardly alone in thinking or feeling a certain way. So we need to listen. It doesn't mean we always have to agree. But part of dialogue is listening and being able to respond, not react. But to, to engage in a dialogue and exchange back and forth so we can come to an understanding of what the key issues are. We may not be able to solve everything, but we can find and distill exactly what the core issues are that really will apply to the vast majority of societies that are out there. You know, I don't mean to cut you off, but I th I, I, you know, as I hear, I hear you talk about this and I, and I, and I reflect back on, on uh, you know, other feedback, I can't help but feel that it isn't that they necessarily disagree, so I'm coming back mm -hmm. to my own comment, is I think that they, what we think is what is the most urgent that needs to be mm -hmm. done. And it's not that one is wrong or either, you know, one's right or one's wrong, but mm -hmm. maybe it is they believe that the climate control issue is the most critical to be solved, and mm -hmm. therefore, this is what we should go down. Mm -hmm. uh, like um, sim simpatica uh, yeah. and, you know, or, and or um, corporate social responsibility, when, if you're looking down at uh, uh, the Google side of things or mm -hmm. you know, what have you. So, um, what do you think about that? 
ultimately, I think the next question I would have to ask any of them, whether I sense I would agree or not, would be, why do you think this is the top priority? Mm. And get to the underlying issues. Get to the underlying, yeah. maybe a question's hiding another question's hiding another question. Right. And really drill deeply yeah. into, okay, maybe the climate control seems to be the big issue, but maybe there's something even more fundamental. There's maybe a fear, a fear of being eradicated, a fear of our livelihood being able to continue. And okay, so we can look at that as part of the human condition that's mm -hmm. under threat and go, okay, are there other aspects where that fear may be in common with other aspects of technology and industry so we can address the fear? Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, um, in Christian anthropology, what we're looking at is what is good for the human person. The technology can't be the end goal. We're not doing technology for technology's sake. Technology is an instrument of a human being who is always bigger, who is always um, of dignity in the Judeo-Christian context of being created in the image and likeness of God. Mm. Technology is not created in the image and likeness of God. Technology is always going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. But the danger as technology accelerates in its development at almost warp speed, and man is reflecting less and less on the impacts of that technology and whether a technology should be developed or should be implemented. Not whether it can be or can't be, but whether it should be. And what human beings should be doing and what human beings should not give it to a machine to do. Mm -hmm. Then that's where we start getting into the questions of is this good for the human being? Mm -hmm. And if it's not good for human being, it's not good, to be good for the common good for society. Mm. And so we can never put the human being at risk of being reduced to a thing. A human being is not a set of data points, and that's it. We can't say, okay, we give to big data, okay, this bunch of data on this person, this bunch of data on this person, and the person becomes the data. Mm -hmm. And the person's actually forgotten. Mm. And so the data is bought for a dollar, two dollars, and the person's disposed of. <laughs> I'm with, is that, but isn't that what capital markets do? That's the danger of capital markets, is to forget the humanity of the human mm -hmm. being. And so the church in its social moral teaching, through popes of a hundred years in the past century mm -hmm. and into the present age, has always said the human being cannot be forgotten. Mm -hmm. The capitalism cannot be completely unbridled. Yes, there's free market economy, and John Paul II spoke very beautifully at that mm -hmm. in various encyclicals, among other popes as well. But it can't be a free market without responsibility for the common good. Mm. It can't be a free market that is so unbridled that the needs of the weakest and the poorest are forgotten. Mm. It doesn't mean creating an entitlement in society where you just throw money at everything. That doesn't fix a problem either. But how do we create structures that lead for nobody to be left behind, mm. that help everybody to move forward, and so that when there's a legitimate capitalism that's at play, everybody's being considered. Mm -hmm. The good of all is seeking to be promoted. Mm -hmm. Everybody's lifted up. Nobody's being pushed down so that certain few can be lifted up. And if that's not considered, that's where you start to see some revolts among people. You start to see people getting very angry. I've been left out. I've been forgotten. Mm. Well, we're, you know, we've certainly seen that now. And the, the tools that communicate that message are, are worldwide. And, you know, mm -hmm. social media is proliferated a number of different narratives and messaging and sure. it allows people to find other people who believe the same thing which didn't ex quite exist even 10 years ago mm -hmm. um bringing it back to the to about too many 2.0 mm -hmm. you know um i believe it's it could be a very effective integrative launching pad absolutely for your efforts 
sure. for, um, for big business uh, and for social change, if it's done right. How do you guys, you know, when, when, when looking and evaluating, because this is 2.0, this is, there was one last year. Was that 1.0 or is that well, just humanity, humanity? I think humanity 2.0 is, is, <laughs> is spoken of more from the perspective of um, this new horizon we have reached. Yep. And that humanity, in order to really remain human mm. and not lose its humanity, needs to keep the proper considerations in mind and the ethical decisions need to be made in the right way. Mm. Do you think the, ha, ha, what are your hopes as far as, as Humanity 2.0 as a launching pad? Well, I think it's got tremendous potential in mm. that what we saw yesterday, for example, is that it brought all sorts of people together. It did. It brought thought leaders together. It brought decision makers together. It brought educators together. The president of Malta. It brought government leaders together. <laughs> right. And these are the people who should be talking to each other. Mm -hmm. There should be open dialogue. There should be um, an exchange of ideas. This is what really um, collaboration is all about. This is ultimately what dialogue is about, that through the word dialogos, that there is a, a true exchange of ideas, um, that there is a real co-operating. Mm -hmm. And that it's through that working together that we can reach mm -hmm. Uh, a better good, and we can come to an understanding of what truly is good, what's authentically good, St. Thomas Aquinas would say. Mm. What seems to be good, an apparent good, may not be able to deliver on its promise of happiness that it says. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things in technology may seem good on the surface, mm -hmm. but if we don't step back and have reflection, bring in the philosophers, bring in the ethicists, not to say we have all the answers, but we are skilled a bit in kind of asking some questions that would help to promote the dialogue, mm -hmm. to be able to help everybody come to the right answers. So mm -hmm. what are some things that bring us all in common, even though they're going to be different ethical systems? The human being is important. Mm -hmm. The human being should not be instrumentalized and reduced to a thing to be used. Versus the thing itself being used. Right. Like this piece of technology. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, we've, we've actually got grown to a point where the technology runs without our direction. Mm -hmm. It's been algorithms been put in place and it does it autonomously mm -hmm. um, versus we've got tech, analog technology like this, which we use and we're in control right. of the output. Hey, I, as AI, and this is a big topic sure. and I, I don't want to get off, but it, I, I really like where this conversation go, is going. As AI begins to emerge, and, and it's a topic worldwide right now, we got privacy issues, we've got mm -hmm. um, you know, data mining issues, we've got uh, you know, big data and all, all the things that go with, with, the, with the, whole, the whole bag of cats. Where, where's, where's the church's stance on this? Well, I think ultimately where the church is going to come in is always in defending the dignity of the human person creating the image and likeness of mm -hmm. God. So image of God means he looks like God yeah. or she looks like God and the uh, likeness of God means acts like God. Mm. And then, so what does it mean to act like God? If we say God is love, then human beings are called to act like God by loving each other, love God and love neighbor. Mm -hmm. And that if we don't love God, we're not gonna be able to love our neighbor well. If we're not loving our neighbor, Jesus says in the Christian context, we're not loving God. Mm. Whoever we love the least may be how we love God the most. Well, that's interesting. And so we have a responsibility that's incumbent to that love. A love that is not responsible to the other and for the other is not real love. Mm. And so that is what brings solidarity to the human race. Mm. 
is that we are united as brothers and sisters, as humans, even if we're different creeds, I still have a responsibility to love as God loves each of the people I encounter. And that's one of the dangers of technology. If technology is becoming the end in itself and humans are instrumentalized, humans become reduced to being things. The idea of an encounter gets lost. Mm -hmm. Human experience is not brought into the consideration the way it needs to be. That's one thing artificial intelligence. I have to say that in quotes because I really don't believe there is such a thing as artificial intelligence. I believe they're complex compound algorithms. Mm. But intelligence is human. Yeah. An algorithm's not human. Now, it's an instrument that can do a tremendous amount of good. It can do things at warp speed faster than we can. And so the question becomes, what should algorithms be given to do and what things should they not be given to do? Hmm. What things should be left to humans? If you have an algorithm making a decision in divorce court, who's gonna have the kids, the mom or the dad? Well, I don't want AI to make that decision. We need uh, a human being who can consider human experience. Right. That's just one example of where algorithms really shouldn't go in, in the church's opinion. Yeah, I, can, I, can, I see the slippery slope that you're-, that you're yeah, It's you're not that algorithms couldn't propose something and say, well, based on all the data, this. It's almost like having Spock in the room. Right. You know? <laughs> so, right. Spock says this, okay, now, all of human history says, boom, boom, based on all these experiences, but now you have to consider the circumstances and the situation here and make the decision. And, not, and to make that point a little more relevant, Spock also wasn't human. Right. Hmm. Yes, exactly. So one thing AI cannot do is make a moral decision. Human beings make moral decisions hmm. because only human beings are persons, integrated bodies and souls. As much as we can create something, we don't really create bodies that we give life to. Mm. We participate in that creative process, but there are many people trying to have a child who can't have a child, no matter how much they try. Mm -hmm. So there's something beyond us that involves the generation of life, even if we're participants in the process. And this is a vital point when it comes to understanding what it means to be human, that we are beings that have a certain level of transcendence about us. We're mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Mm. And those are dynamics that AI really cannot mimic and duplicate in the integrated way that a human being is. You know, Father, listen, we've only got a few minutes left. Sure. Um, what I'd like to do is for you to take us out with something for, that uh, help make us better, better people and, and mm -hmm. understand what it is we're getting into in this, in this next mm -hmm. ev evolution, or we'll, we'll call it the industrial revolution of, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, a technology. I know you have a few things that you want to, you want to get out, so why don't you uh, leave it with you? Well, no, I appreciate that. Um, I, I think first and foremost, we have to remember that in any decision, when we're looking at technology and its impacts, we have to look at the individual and what's reflective of the dignity of the human person. Mm -hmm. If a technology is being implemented that does not respect the dignity of the human person, it shouldn't be implemented. Mm. And it's a fundamental ethical decision point mm -hmm. for any company if this is violating the dignity of the human person, we should not move it forward. And so there's also the next level of how does this impact relationships? Because we're not living isolated. Now many times technology leads us to be isolated. You have people who are glued to their computers and don't go outside for hours and hours and hours in a day and they never see another human being. And they're living in virtual relationships, which really when you get to the bottom of it are not authentically true, fully, communal relationships that are encounter 
relationships. It's easy to hide behind an avatar. It's easy to hide behind a comment thread and change your identity online and fake this and fake that. But authentic human encounter, that's something that has to be experienced face to face. And human beings, when they lose that, they lose a certain part of their humanity. And so if a technology is going to put that at risk, measures need to be taken to safeguard from that risk. You know, to your point, I, I know right now there's a big debate going on regarding reputation and trust in online, in, in online marketplaces. Sure. It's a big concern because we have rating systems that will give an individual a four-star or five-star rating based upon a short period of time of their life and based upon the interaction they have with that platform. Mm -hmm. And, it, and, and we make decisions whether we want that person to come into our home, mm -hmm. eliminating the human interaction process, whether that feels right or not. And that's also making a very rash judgment call of a person. A person is worth a certain number of stars, is reducing the person to a product. And it, that's a very dangerous place to go, mm. because what if you see a person who's got 2,000 reviews, and my average is a 1.2, that person has very low self-esteem at that point, and goes, well, if I'm going to base my life identity on that, why don't I off myself, because I'm not worth anything to the vast majority of people who are seeing me. Mm. And that, of course, can then be corrupted and manipulated online. You get somebody in there who is more maleficent. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, that is going to be a big risk there. But certainly, already the question of rating a human being based on limited human experiences, first of all, this is where Pope Francis says, who am I to judge? Mm -hmm. So there, there involves a certain judgment call on a person as a thing, as a product. That already, is, um, that already is problematic. That would be different to say, this person's services in this particular sector, we rate this person's delivery of services this way. Mm -hmm. That's very different because that's, that's looking at an element of a thing that's provided by the person, but not matching the person's identity with that thing. Mm. And that's, that's a refined difference that I think is a very important one, Anthony. You know, I, I, and I, I don't want to go, I know we're going down a different topic, but this is so interesting, and I just happen to be pervy to kind of what's happening on this side of things, on the regulatory side. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there is a, there is a, um, a, there's another side of the coin, which mm -hmm. is that people can hide behind those ratings sure. and do things because they have inflated a rating mm -hmm. and find their, and infiltrate, you know, homes and those sorts of things. Uh, because they've established a layer of trust that doesn't really exist. That's right. They become actors who can hide behind a persona that they've created, a digital persona, a ratings persona, but then behind the scenes, oh, if you really knew this person in this relationship, or if you really knew this person in the family dynamic, it would be very different than what the rating is online. Mm -hmm. It ultimately leads people to live a bifurcated life, or a life that's almost like two-faced or multiple-faced. Or, or allow them facilitate, the, 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 right. the technology facilitates. Living in a virtual state versus a real state. And or to do negative things. Exactly. It becomes an enabler for so, bad decision-making. So how, 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 does, how, how, how does online marketplaces solve this problem? Mm. You know, is it, is it by creating maybe a little more transparency on who they are? Like who is on the other side of that computer? Is well, it, I think certainly transparency is a, is a certain benefit. Um, because people need, in any kind of exchange, to know with whom they're exchanging. Otherwise, you can't make a proper decision. You really can't make a proper decision. And, and if a company were to do that vetting for them and not give them a transparency, this is kind of where the ethics, ethical problem arises. Mm -hmm.
Right, and so there always need to be those fundamental truths of uh, respecting justice and mm. honesty, truth, um, the values that really unite human beings as what are considered goods for man. And that if at a social level, the technology is, well, certainly violating well, the human it person strips personally. Away, it strips away the humanity. I mean, so, it, yeah. I mean, and there's a couple different ways of looking at it. And, but I, you know, I can tell you, there is, there's debate right now on current rating systems and transparency and everything going with privacy is becoming a mm-hmm. bit of an issue because those laws were rewritten today. They look much different Absolutely. Uh, than they were, they were you know, 20, 30 years we ago. We see what's happening in Europe just in the past couple of years with the privacy of the GDPR, yeah, which is probably the more advanced the, of the privacy laws out there right now. It, it, it is. It's much more advanced. Um, you know, but at the same time, as that stuff's happening, the same people that those laws are trying to protect the individuals are freely giving their data away. Right. So then we start getting to who's on the other side of that computer, right. who's on the other side of that rating. Then we start getting into potentially a conflict. And you know, this has been really interesting. I think if, if anything, um, I think the, the moral aspect of whether it strips away humanity, does, does the p- fundamental piece of that technology strip away humanity? Right. And, and I think as a baseline, that's a pretty, that's a pretty interesting, that's a, I gotta tell you, it's pretty. It's fairly solid. I, I mean, at least from where I come, and I'm a technologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know if the word word I should use is solid, but I find that it's an interesting way of looking. And at hopefully, it. that that will be a way that any culture coming to the debate would yeah. be able to come to that and say, well, that is a fundamental value that we are human too, and yeah, to be if, able to defend that. If you force me to make a decision by that rating, you're stripping away my ability to figure out who that person is for make, make me to make a human 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 decision based upon what's good for me. Right. Wow, that actually actually solves the answers a uh, debate that's going on right now, uh, and, I, and I, I appreciate it. Um, bringing this full circle to humanity 2.0. Sure. Uh, we're moved into the next segment. Um, so uh, they have some amazing things and initiatives that are in the pipeline right now. Mm-hmm. Matthew is an incredible individual. Absolutely. Um, his partner as well as they're smart, smart guys. Um, what are your hopes for them? Well, I think one thing that I see tremendous potential with Humanity 2.0 is to, to bring forward a number of initiatives that can help everybody tune into the same channel, if you will, just like this, these uh, panels and presentations yesterday have done. They help people to focus on, okay, this is one um, issue that everybody can get behind. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with... Um, helping the built environment in maternal care. Absolutely something that resounds, culture to culture to culture. And it creates action points that can be collaborated on mm-hmm. so that you, you have a true cooperation. You have people really sharing in a common duty, which is what communication is. Communus, munus is in the old Latin, duty, wow. obligation, yeah. um, a common purpose. Mm-hmm. And so when you're sharing together on a common purpose and a common project, whether it's education and the Institute of Business Ethics, <laughs> you are building communion between people. And yeah. as there, there's a solidarity among the numbers that comes about through a building an interpersonal communion, which is yeah, right out of the book of John Paul II. Wow. I'm in, I'm in the communication industry. I never really connected the, the fundamentally that, that down to, down to that, the essence of it. Yeah. And so everything, whether it's you and I are together in a, in a um, conversation, 
or our um, team here mm -hmm. taking care of the video and the audio. There's a common labor, there's a common duty, mm -hmm. a common work, a common purpose. And curiously enough, gift is another meaning of munos. So there's a common exchange of the gifts and talents that a person has that can give mm -hmm. to the greater good. Mm -hmm. And so through this common offering, another meaning of munos is offering, that every person can come with his or her personal worth. Mm. Everybody has some work to give. Everybody has a purpose. Nobody is worthless. Nobody is meaningless. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a way to contribute. Mm. And through that collaboration, through that communication, ultimately, then the human race can really become more human by living according to how God designed us to be. Well, you know what? Being more humans, human helping humanity, I think. Let's leave it on that note Absolutely. for right now. I'd love, and next time I'm back here in, in, in Rome, I'd love to have you come back on the show if that's okay. With I would you. love it. Uh, I, this was terrific and it was special for me. Um, Thank you. Thanks me so much. Well. Um, Father Gregory Gresco, uh, professor of theology here in Rome. Um, actually, do you want to you want do you want to tell them tell them a little about uh, uh, where where can they go and look up some of the stuff that you do and and, uh, and you t you teach? Sure, you can go to www.anselmianum.com. So A N S E L M I A N U M. It's the Latin word for. Anselm, <laughs> institution of Anselm, if you will. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to say that out loud, but listen, I appreciate it. Um, Till next time, uh, this is pretty much concluding our coverage. We have two more guests, Matthew Sanders himself, and then uh, a special one-on-one -on -one with Chardon, uh, and we get to reflect on our last two days of interviews and, and media coverage uh, from behind the scenes. So uh, until next time, until next time, you're watching a Trace Network show, don't go away. We do have a couple more interviews. We'll be right back after this commercial message. The 2019 Humanity 2.0 Forum is brought to you by Cisco Systems, CSR solutions that are accelerating global problem solving in ways that have never been attempted before. To Ulala, providing mobile blockchain solutions for the unbanked. And to PledgeCamp, the next generation of crowdfunding. A special thanks to Tonico in Vatican City for hosting our program. And lastly, special consideration to Burst IQ, a leader in healthcare and blockchain, to Crown Sterling, the leader in digital sovereignty and quantum encryption, to Dignity Health, delivering high quality and affordable healthcare for all. And lastly, to Falcon Ventures, as transformative as our entrepreneurs. And thank you, One Hair Public Relations, for all your PR and media support. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away.